0: Hello, and welcome to Doc Tell Me More, my podcast where I take an in-depth look at documentaries. My name is Mike. I am your host. This is episode 53 of Doc Tell Me More. As always, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to me, whether this is your first time or multiple times. Uh, If this is your first time, though, what I do here at Doc Tell Me More is I am a huge documentary fan and I will watch documentaries, and then I will um, dive, after I watch one, I like to dive in and look at the uh, topics a little more in-depth, partly to see if what the documentary said was true, and also just to learn a little bit more information about the documentary, because it's impossible to talk about everything about a topic in just a, a short documentary. So I'd like to come in and give you some more in-depth look at a documentary. I encourage you to watch the documentaries before you listen. But if you don't watch the documentaries, that's fine. You can still learn more about the documentary and the topic at hand. So I just in my last episode, I finished up a, a seven-part series I did on Ken Burns' The Roosevelts yeah, that looked at Franklin Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, and Eleanor Roosevelt. I encourage you to go back and listen to that one and And I've done past episodes on the Civil War, World War II, uh, baseball, The Last Dance, and college football stuff as well. And so feel free to go back and watch any of those. This episode, we're going to start a new documentary. And if you've followed me for a while, you know I kind of like to alternate between history and sports because those are kind of my two interest levels and, and my two hobbies. And so we... So we're going to look at a sports documentary here in the next two um, episodes here in Doc Tell Me More, and we're going to look at the documentary called Swamp Kings. Swamp Kings, which looks at the Florida Gators under Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer coached at the University of Florida football team from 2005 to 2010, and Swamp Kings actually just came out um, within the last month and um, kind of talks about that era, which had a lot of success, but also had some controversy to it as well. So that's what we're gonna look at. I thought uh, it was a you know a topic that interests me, a documentary that interests me when they first announced it. I generally enjoyed it, um, although there were some a lot of things they left out. Um and so this should be a fun topic to talk about. Now, Swamp King, did in and of itself is a four-part documentary, but uh, I think I'm going to condense it down into just a two part or so. The first two episodes of Swamp Kings, if you've seen them, I'm going to talk about here in this episode. And the last two, I'm going to talk about in my next episode. So, my goal here with Swamp Kings, uh, as we're diving deep, um, we're going to look at. Um, okay, so the document focuses on the Florida Gators under Urban Meyer for that five year stretch. You know, this episode. I'm going to look at the history of Florida football briefly to kind of give you an idea of what Florida football was like before Urban Meyer got there. Then I'm going to talk about a little bit of background on Urban Meyer that they left out in the documentary. And then um, we're going to go all the way through his first two seasons at the University of Florida, the 2005 and 2006 seasons. Then we're going to end there and pick up the rest in the next episode. So, uh, kind of sit back, relax, and uh, we're going to talk about Swamp Kings. Again, the uh, six-year run of Urban Meyer at the University of Florida, which, again, had a lot of success, but some controversy. So, here we go. So, like I said, uh, University of Florida football. Um, uh, is, certainly, when I grew up, started watching college football um, in the 90s. Um, they were a really strong program, and Urban Meyer certainly um, had some success there. And even Florida now is, is considered a generally a top-tier program. But I just wanted to, to start off um, and talk about the history of Florida football, just to kind of give you an idea of where they were. Um, and and I, th- I think by understanding the history of Florida football is going to give you a little bit of an idea. Um, an understanding of the Florida Gators under Urban Meyer. So anyways, um, Florida started football in 1906, which is also the first year of the University of Florida. They weren't named the Florida Gators until 1911. That's an, um, a nice fitting nickname there. And they joined the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, in 1933. And really for the longest time didn't have a whole lot of success. It took them until 1952 to win their first bowl game. Um, In 1966, they had one of their greatest seasons where they won the Orange Bowl with a guy named Steve Spurrier as their quarterback, who was also a Heisman Trophy winner for the University of Florida. But for the most part, up until the 80s, they really were not that successful of a program, um, uh, even though they played in the South and, and had some access to some pretty talented players. In the 1980s, they had a nice three-year stretch of from 1983 to 85. Um, in 1983, they were nine-two and one. They finished sixth overall, and which was their first top-10 finish in school history. In 1984, they were nine-one and one. They won their first SEC title, and they finished number three overall. In 1985, they had another nine-win season. they were nine-one and two, so they had two ties, and they finished number five. And they finished with the best record in the SEC. So nice three-year stretch: nine wins, nine wins, nine wins. So the problem, though, was is that in 1984, in the middle of this run, their coach Charlie Pell ended up being fired for recruiting violations. Um, and so this SEC title they actually ended up winning in 1984 was later vacated. And then in 1985, even though they actually finished with the best record in the SEC, they weren't allowed to win the SEC title because they were ineligible because of recruiting violations. And so this three-year stretch of what at the time was the greatest three-year run in school history was tainted by these recruiting violations. And after they got in trouble for these recruiting violations and put on probation and had other sanctions the team really slumped, and they never won more than seven games for the rest of the 1980s. And that led to 1990 when Steve Spurrier, that former Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback for the Gators, was hired as their head coach. And so up until that point, up to 1990, the University of Florida had no SEC titles that were official, that they hadn't vacated, or no top ten finishes mm-hmm that weren't tainted by recruiting violations. So up until 1990, Florida football really hadn't done anything in college football history. But that all changed in 1990 when Steve Spurrier showed up to Florida and turned Florida into a national power. And what he did was he brought a pass-oriented offense to the SEC called the fun and gun. And it was just really revolutionary. In the SEC, which was typically more of a run-oriented conference, in his very first season, he won the SEC title. Although again, Florida was ineligible because of recruiting violations that had happened before. Um, but then he ended up coaching at Florida for 12 seasons, and he won 10 games in nine of those seasons. He finished in the top 10 nine times. He won the top five. He was in the top five six times, and he ended up winning. Six SEC titles. After Florida hadn't won any, he'd won six. In 1995, he lost in the National Championship game and came back in 1996 and won the National Championship. Steve Spurrier was 122, 27, and 1 in 12 years. As a coach at Florida, he only lost 12 game conference games in those 12 years. And he was the reason why Florida was the top, one of the top programs in the country. And when I grew up in the 1990s, this was the Florida team I remember, a national power that pretty much won or was in the mix for the national title every year. Uh, they rarely lost at home, called the Swamp. Now, then he resigned in 2001, and he accepted the Washington Redskins head coaching job in the NFL. And so, so Florida football, not good. Spurrier comes national power, and then Florida looks to um, try to maintain this national title um, aspirations, or this national national title, maintain their national kind of title status year in and year out. Well, to replace Spurrier, they hired a guy named Ron Zook, who is a defensive coordinator of the Saints and also a former uh, Steve Spurrier assistant um, unfortunately for Florida, he didn't have the magic that Steve Spurrier did. And he went 8-5, and 8-5, and five, and 7-4. and four. He lost six games at home, which was one more um, than Steve Spurrier had lost in 12 years. He ended up being fired. Um, so he was fired. Um, Florida was looking for a new coach. And actually at that time, Steve Spurrier had resigned from his NFL job. And there was actually talk of him going back to Florida. Um, Spurrier actually was initially interested, but then he took his name out of the running. And that's when Florida shifted to looking at a guy named Urban Meyer to then try to bring Florida football back to glory. So the, the big thing to take away there from Florida football is that Florida was not a good school until Steve Spurrier came. Steve Spurrier built the Florida Gators, and then when he left, they were bad again. So really up until this point, Steve Spurrier was Florida football. And Florida was looking to hire someone who could replicate that Steve Spurrier um, success. And really there was questions of, could they even do that? Because up until this point, only one person had won, and that was Spurrier. And so um, eventually when Florida did their search, they ended up hiring Urban Meyer um, to try to become that coach that could um, re- replicate the success that um, Steve Spurrier did. So who was Urban Meyer at the time? He was definitely the hot coaching name um, when he accepted the job at the University of Florida. Now, he had been an assistant at Ohio State in the 1980s in um, Notre Dame in the mid to late um, 90s. Uh, his first coaching job was at Bowling Green. Um the year before, Bowling—he um, was hired at Bowling Green. Bowling Green was two and nine, and then he was eight and three, and nine and three, in his two years at Bowling Green. Um, he had a quarterback named Josh Harris, who, um, in, his, by, in his first year, or excuse me, in uh, 2002, the second year that Urban Meyer was there, threw for 2,400 yards, rushed for 700 yards. And accounted for 39 touchdowns, um, and so, and he was the the type of kind of prototypical quarterback that Urban Meyer was looking for—a guy that could throw the ball but also was a dangerous runner as well. So Urban Meyer was there for two years. Uh, Bowling Green was good for another two years, and then they dropped to six and five and four and eight. Um, eventually and fired their coach. So Urban Meyer at Bowling Green was able to build a program up quickly and have success. And that got him the job at Utah. Now, the year before Urban Meyer got to Utah, Utah was five and six. So again, another program that was not good. In his very first year, he goes 10 and two. And it was Utah's first conference championship since 1957. Now, at the time, Utah... Um, was in the Mountain West. They weren't in the, the Pac-12 like they are now. They were like a, a, a mid-major, group of five, low, kind of lower-level Division A team. In year two, he tops his first season by going 12-0. and um, And he did this with uh, a, another quarterback that was a run-pass threat, and that was by the name of Alex Smith. Now, Alex Smith, had only four yards passing total in his career when Urban Meyer showed up. In his first year, he had 2,200 yards passing and 450 yards rushing. And in his second year, he threw for almost 3,000 yards, rushed for 600 yards, had 42 total touchdowns. And Alex Smith ended up, um, be, he ended up uh, with a final starting record of 21-1 and at Utah. He was a Heisman finalist. He was a number one pick in the draft, the same draft Aaron Rodgers dropped to the 20s. Ended up playing 16 years in the NFL. Uh, so, again, Urban Meyer really was looking for these types of quarterbacks that really dual threat quarterbacks, which, which is pretty common now, but really wasn't common as much back then in the 90s, early 2000s. Now, as I mentioned, Utah was 12 0. In Urban Meyer's second year in Utah. Now, that was very significant because um, of how, uh, at the time of something called the BCS, which some of you might remember the BCS and what it was. Uh, Some of you might not know what the BCS is, but the the BCS um, was called the Bull Championship Series, and it was created in 1998 in order to try to pick a national champion. Don't have a whole lot of time to really get into this. The long story short is, for decades and decades, there was never a national championship game in college football. Teams would go to bowl games, and then after the bowl games, people would vote for the national champion. The BCS was really the third iteration of a system that pitted a try to make a national championship game that would pit the number 1 versus number 2 team. Um there was a, a lot of criticism in this process in that it was biased towards teams that weren't in one of the five major conferences like the Big 12, the Big 10, the Pac at the time Pac 10, um SEC and ACC. Those were the main power conferences and Teams from Utah's conference, like the Mountain West, even if they went undefeated, typically weren't invited. And but but in um, in 2004, when Utah went undefeated and went 12 and 0, they became the first team to be selected by the BCS to go to a major bowl game. So the BCS. Um, had a national championship game, and it also had multiple other um, bowl games that were called BCS games, so games like the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, really big time bowl games. And so, not only did they pick the national championship games, they picked these other prestigious bowl games. And if you weren't in a major conference, you pretty much almost you pretty much never got selected to go to these games. Well, Urban Meyer's Utah team that went 12 and 0 became the first non-kind of major conference team to get selected to go to it. So they went to the Fiesta Bowl. They were they were called a BCS buster, the first non-major conference team to make a BCS bowl game, and they ended up beating Pittsburgh 35 and seven. Um, and they actually paved the way for future non-major teams. To make these types of games like uh, TCU, Boise State, Hawaii actually made it one year as well. And that started with Urban Meyer at Utah. Um, and Urban Meyer's success at Utah really started Utah on a really successful path. And Utah eventually joined the Pac-12 and became a major conference school. Um, they've won actually two Pac-12 titles. Um, since they've been in the Pac-12, and actually they're going to join the Big 12 in 2024. So Urban Meyer um, made Utah a major conference team and also, again, um, pioneered these non-major teams with getting into bigger bowl games. So obviously at this time, because of his success at Utah and before that Bowling Green, he was the hot option. And so Florida was after him, but also Notre Dame was after him. And eventually, Urban Meyer narrowed down his next job to Notre Dame and Florida. Now, Urban Meyer actually had three outs in his contract where he could leave for these three jobs. Um, And his contract was Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. So Notre Dame was actually a school in his contract that he could leave. He could get out of his contract. And so... Uh, And Meyer had actually called Notre Dame his dream job. At one point, he's Catholic, and a lot of people expected him to take the Notre Dame job. And then they were stunned, actually, when he took the Florida job. Florida hired him to replace Ron Zook. Um, Now, Meyer later said that he picked Florida because he felt that Florida had a better roster and that he knew he had to win immediately. So he felt like he had to go with a better talent. But he also knew he had more access to talent in Florida to recruit. He could just, he'd have less time on the road, on the recruiting trail, because of the talent in Florida. He also thought it would be extremely tough to recruit to Notre Dame. So he ended up picking Florida, and, and Notre Dame ended up hiring Charlie Weiss, who was the offensive coordinator of the Patriots. And he went, won nine wins, then ten wins, then three wins, then seven wins, and then six wins, and was ultimately fired. So that is the history there of, um, you know, Urban Meyer and Florida, Florida's success, or not success, but history, um, and how they eventually became a national power. Urban Meyer's history and how um, he got the Florida job, and he was expected to return Florida to national prominence, and really expected to do it quickly. Um, and that was the task he was given when he took over. Now, Urban Meyer's um, bread and butter, I was gonna say secret, but not really a secret, but big staple and reason for his success uh, everywhere he went was um, was the spread offense which was just starting to take hold in college football now. If you watch college football nowadays, the spread offense is just everywhere. And a lot of offenses, maybe even most of them, have spread offense principles. And there's even a lot of spread offense principles in the NFL. But back in 2005, the spread offense was fairly new and maybe run by some colleges in smaller conferences, but not necessarily at the big boy conferences, which still ran a lot of pro-style offenses where – quarterbacks under the center, quarterbacks not necessarily a runner, or fast, hand the ball off to a running back, blocked by a fullback. You're not necessarily passing, you know, 30 times a game or running 80 plays. Um, So Urban Meyer used the spread offense to, to, excuse me. So Urban Meyer um, was just unique at the time. Because he used the spread offense, and there's a lot of questions about whether or not his offense could work in the SEC. So the spread offense—if you don't know what the spread offense is—it's um, been using—it's been used by some coaches as far back as the 1920s. But um, Jack Newmeyer, who was a coach of a high school in California called Grenada, Grenada Hills High School, um, in in the 70s. Um, he is considered to be one of the fathers of the spread offense because numerous coaches copied him. Now, there's another coach from the 1920s called Rusty Russell, who coached high school football in Fort Worth, who also used the spread. But both um, actually coaches, both Newmeyer and Russell, came up with this independently so New Meyer in the 70s didn't know anything about Rusty Russell when he ran the spread. So you can't say that New Meyer learned it from Russell. He came up with it himself. Um, but there's just a lot of different variations of the of the spread formation. Um, Meyer's offense is called the spread option offense. And it uses it or used three to five receivers, um, two or less running backs in, in formation and typically put the quarterback in the shotgun. The quarterback was typically a dual-threat quarterback, a guy who could run or pass, You wanted to have a slot receiver and a a tailback. It's a run-first scheme with a mobile quarterback and a mobile offensive line. In essence, the, the point of the offense is to spread the defense out, hence the name spread, in order to make holes or seams in the defense. Essentially getting your best players in space, so your best players in a one-on-one matchup. Before the spread, when everybody would have a lot more tighter formations, that would bring the defense bunched in. So if you handed the ball off, you know, your running back have to run through, you know, five or six people. Your receiver could be, you know, single or double teamed or maybe covered and pushed back towards the middle where a linebacker could cover him as well. But the spread offense is all about spreading the defense out, getting one-on-one matchups. The zone read is a staple of the offense. And that's a play where the offensive line blocks the direction and the quarterback makes one read to either hand the ball off or to take it. That, so, while the spread is pretty common now, it was considered a gimmick at the time. And a lot of people did not think it was sustainable at the major conference level. So, even though Irvin Meyer was very successful at Bowling Green in Utah, most people felt that he, it couldn't work in the SEC. Um, and so Meyer's offense would test the legitimacy of the spread. So again, not only is Urban Meyer trying to prove that he can win and that Florida can win without Steve Spurrier, he's also uh, trying to prove the legitimacy of the spread offense. So let's talk about the team that he walked into. So in 2005, he walked into, um, you know, a pretty talented Florida Gators team um, with the most important player on the team was Chris Leak, who was the starting quarterback at Florida when Urban Meyer got there. He was a high school American. He broke the North Carolina high school records for passing yards, completions, and touchdowns. He was a five-star recruit. He actually almost went to Iowa. I know that as an Iowa fan because I remember when he picked Florida. He was a big-time recruit. And for his first two years under Ron Zook, he was pretty successful. As a freshman in the SEC, he threw for 2,400 yards and 16 touchdowns. And in the second year, he threw for over 3,000 yards and and threw 29 touchdowns. He was a very successful quarterback. The really issue for Urban Meyer was that he wasn't a – typical spread quarterback for urban meyer he wasn't really a runner and in fact in his four years at florida um he actually only rushed for 137 yards total in his four years so really good passer not uh, as talented as a runner as maybe like an alex smith or the josh harris at bowling green um but he was a quarterback that meyer had um So it kind of, Urban Meyer had to figure out how to um, make Chris Leak work, work in his offense. Um, Brandon Seiler is another important player on the 2005 Gators. He was really featured prominently in the documentary. Um, he was actually as a, the, uh, the SEC Freshman of the Year, a defensive lineman, in 2004. And Urban Meyer in the documentary said that he really considered him the leader of the 2006 team. Um, So Chris Leak is really your best offensive player. Brandon Siler is your best defensive player. So 2005, um, even though it's Urban Meyer's first year, he's expected to come in and win an SEC title and restore Florida. And he started off pretty strong. Um, He beat their preseason number 10, they beat Wyoming, they beat Louisiana Tech, Uh, they beat Tennessee, who was number 5, and then Kentucky. Um, So they started off 4-0, but then their first loss came, they lost to Alabama, um, at Alabama, and then while they would beat Mississippi State, they then lost to LSU at LSU, so ended up having two losses. Um, They responded by beating Georgia, who's number four in Vanderbilt. And so then they come to their last SEC conference game of the season, needing to beat South Carolina. Now, South Carolina was not good, but their head coach was none other than Steve Spurrier, the former Florida coach. And a documentary said it had been like 60 years since South Carolina had beaten Florida. So all Florida had to do is beat South Carolina, and then they had to win the SEC East. And it was at Florida, and instead, Florida lost thirty to twenty-two, and lost the SEC East title, and which was just uh, um, tough on Florida for a number of reasons. It a lot of people felt like it proved that the spread offense couldn't work. It they. Made people wonder that know maybe Steve Spur is the only one that can win at Florida. Um, Florida would respond and beat Florida State, but finishing with uh, you know three losses and and then not winning the SEC East when you had it was considered a disappointment. And um, Florida ended up getting stuck playing actually my favorite team Iowa in the Outback Bowl. Um, I don't want to get distracted here and, and talk about this bowl game a whole lot, but um, Florida ends up beating Iowa in the Outback Bowl um, in kind of what is considered one of the worst officiated games in college football history. If you go to YouTube and YouTube the 2006 Outback Bowl, you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. Um, a long story short, Florida was up 31-7. to Iowa rallied to, to put the score to 31-24, to 90 seconds to go. Iowa does an onside kick and recovers it, but the officials call offside. Um, the replay showed that that was not the right call. And um, uh, the officiating crew later said that, that they had made the wrong call. And I'm pretty confident that officiating crew was suspended. But anyways, um, Florida kind of wins an ugly outback ball. Um to kind of finish the season on, oh, a little bit of a higher note there. Uh, but they ended up going 9-3 and three in 2005, and they finished 16th overall in the coaches' poll and 12th in the AP poll. But either way, that was considered a failure at the University of Florida in 2005. Um, Leak passed for over 2,600 yards, Um, He passed for 20 touchdowns, Um, but again, um, Florida didn't win, and and then um, at this point, um, you know, in the documentary, Urban Meyer talks about how he felt like he was on the the hot seat after this one season, and so going into 2006, um, people really, there was a lot of pressure on Florida to respond, and at least at minimum, win an SEC title. So after Urban Meyer's disappointing first year, he goes out and signs the number one recruiting class in the country. They had four five-star players and 17 four-star players. So five-star, um, if you don't know, recruiting rankings is the, the top of the top. Players are rated on either on a scale of one to five, and very few players get a five-star. That is considered the top of the top. And four stars that next level. So they recruited 21, four, or five star players. A typical recruiting class will have anywhere from 20 to 30 players in the set. Really good. And, and this is really the main reason for the success that Florida would have in kind of throughout the rest of Urban Meyer's tenure this amazing recruiting class that they got. And there's really three players that highlighted um, this class. The first one you probably have heard of, that is Tim Tebow, um, who is one of the top quarterback recruits in the country. Um, while the documentary really does discuss Tim Tebow a lot, um, they don't really um, talk about his recruiting as much. Uh, Tim Tebow grew up a Florida fan and his parents went to Florida But he almost went to Alabama. He was very close to going to Alabama to play football at Alabama. And he had done that because he had built a great relationship with their Alabama coach, Mike Shula. He had gone, and Alabama had gone 10-2 in 2005 in Urban Meyer's first year. And they actually, as I mentioned, beat Florida 31-3, at which Tebow was actually at that game. So he had built a really strong relationship and it really came down, you know, to the to the last minute, the day of his announcement, he still didn't really know where he was going, um, and he ended up deciding to go to Florida, and so he called Coach Shula to tell him he wasn't going to go, and Coach Shula told him that he loved him as much as he would have loved him if he'd come to Alabama, and was really gracious in his phone call and that got Tim Tebow to rethink his decision more. And he started thinking about um, maybe actually going to Alabama. And he had went to call Urban Meyer to tell Urban Meyer that he was going to go to Florida, and then his phone call got disconnected. And so he didn't get a chance to tell Urban Meyer where he was going. And, And he, after those phone calls, was really actually tormented. And even when he was on stage getting ready to make his announcement, he still wasn't sure where he was going to go. He was actually still rethinking it when the, um, you know, his commitment was actually televised live on ESPN. Up until the moment they asked him where he was going, he still wasn't sure where he was going to go. But when the TV crew or the TV um, um, person at ESPN asked him where he was going, he said he'd go to Florida. <laughs> So up until the last minute, he almost went to Alabama. And just imagine that history. Uh, If he goes to Alabama, uh, Mike Shula never gets fired probably at Alabama because of how good T.M.T. Bill was, which means Nick Saban probably never goes to Alabama because Mike Shula never gets fired. Nick Saban goes somewhere else, and Alabama isn't the powerhouse they all today. It's just kind of crazy there. But Tim Tebow said he stuck with Florida because he believed in Urban Meyer. And he actually, he said he, when Urban Meyer says something, Tim Tebow believed it would be true. So Urban Meyer said if, if, he went, if Tim Tebow went to Florida, he'd win championships and a Heisman Trophy. And so that's why. And then Tim Tebow had some just crazy high expectations uh, since he was one of the top quarterbacks in the country. So he was one of the big-time recruits. yeah. Another one is Brandon Spikes, who was one of the top linebackers in the country and All-American. Um, he was actually the 33rd overall player in the recruiting class. but He was considered, again, one of the best defensive players in the country and expected to help the defense right away. And the other player is Percy Harvin, who was a wide receiver, who was considered actually the number one overall recruit regardless of position. Um, he is considered one of the greatest Virginia players ever. He scored more points than any other Hampton Roads player, which is a part of Virginia. He scored 77 TDs, and he actually won five state track titles as a junior. Now, he came with his own controversy, though. Um, he was suspended for his last two football games in his senior year for making contact with an official. He also got in a fight in a basketball game and was suspended from athletic competition by the Virginia High School Athletic Association. He could not compete in track as a senior, which was a huge blow to his team because he, like I said, he'd won five state titles um, at Virginia. Ended up picking Florida over Florida State, Miami, Michigan, and USC. So I think Percy Harvin Harvin is a microcosm for Urban Meyer's um tenure at Florida. A really talented player, um, who was really good, but also um had his own troubles with um the law. So the 2006 season, um, Florida is expected with this new recruiting class combined with the returning veterans uh, to be a national championship contender. They start off high again. They start off 5-0, and um, including beating number 13, Tennessee. And... Um, Number 9, LSU. But they stumble and they lose to Auburn. um, 27-17. But then they are able to win out. They they beat Georgia, who's number 25. Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Western Carolina, and Florida State. To end the regular season with just one loss. And they end up facing um, in the SEC Championship number 8. Arkansas in the game in the SEC championship uh, Florida goes up 17-0 and and then, then they lead 17-7 at half and then right after the half right in the beginning of the third quarter Arkansas scored a touchdown and then picked up a fumble for a touchdown <laughs> um, right after that to take a quick 21-17 lead so Florida blows a 17-0 lead Um, And then they would be forced to punt from their own 15-yard line. Urban Meyer calls a fake punt, which works. Um, They would have to punt again from midfield. But then that punt was fumbled and Florida recovered in the end zone to take the lead. And then Percy Harvin would score to give Florida a 10-point lead, which Florida would eventually win by 10 points. So Florida does go out um, and respond from that one loss and they run the table and win the SEC championship. Now this was big winning this game Uh, because going into this championship weekend, the top um, four teams were Ohio State, USC, Michigan, and Florida. And so Florida was number four, and while they were number four, yeah, they still had a chance to move up to number two to make it to the national championship game if certain things went um, a different way, certain ways. Uh, but they needed help. And, and one of the ways they got help was uh, USC, who was number two, Um uh, needed to get upset by UCLA. Now, USC um, had been the dominant team of the early 2000s. They'd won the national championship in 2003 and 2004 and were runners-up in 2005. So they were kind of the team, okay, the dominant team. They were a huge favorite against UCLA. Um, USC had beaten UCLA seven times in a row. UCLA was a bad team at 6-5. And, um, and the expectation was that USC would win this game and then play in the national title game. UCLA ended up winning and upsetting USC 13-9. to And that broke USC's record of 63 consecutive games with scoring 20 points. And really one of the biggest upsets in... 25 years. So USC loses, and that just leaves Michigan, Michigan and Ohio State. Now, what's not talked about at all in this documentary is the epic Ohio State-Michigan game that happened before the SEC championship game. Now, from at the end of the year, when Ohio State and Michigan played, Ohio State was number one and Michigan was number two. Um, and, Mich- um, like I said, both teams were 11-0. And this was actually the first time that each team, that the, Ohio State and Michigan had played each other, and they were both 1-2. and two. There was a huge buildup for this game. It was the unofficial Big Ten Championship game because there wasn't a Big Ten Championship game then. And the game really lived up to the hype. Yeah, Ohio State won the game forty-two to thirty-nine, a really close game with over nine hundred yards of offense. So Ohio State ends up beating Michigan, and the expectation was that there was going to be a rematch. And I actually, remember when this happened? Um, a lot of people felt that um, these were the two best teams in the country, and then when USC lost. Um, And even though Florida had won the SEC title, a lot of people still expected, hey, Ohio State and Michigan to play each other. Uh, And one of the bigger arguments was that they were the number one versus number two teams, and Michigan was the number two team, and they had lost by three, and the game had been at Ohio State. So there was a lot of pressure and and clamoring that Michigan deserved um, a rematch on a neutral site. Now, there was actually precedent for this. In 1996... When Florida won their national title, they'd actually lost to Florida State in the regular season and then played them in a rematch and beat them for a national title. Um, and at this, so really here, it was a close debate between Florida and Michigan, for who would play Ohio State. Ohio State was going to be in the championship game because they were undefeated. Florida and Michigan each had one loss. Well, when the final polls came out, um, Florida jumped ahead just barely by Michigan um, to play Ohio State in the title game. I personally believe that the reason why Florida jumped Michigan was that voters didn't want a rematch. Michigan coach Lloyd Carr said they had USC not gotten upset, Florida wouldn't have jumped Michigan in the polls. So essentially the only reason why a lot of people feel that Florida jumped Michigan was because they just didn't want a rematch. Um, Urban Meyer actually aggressively lobbied for his Florida Gators to get in. And you've got to remember, at this time, the SEC wasn't the, the conference of winning national titles year in and year out. Um, LSU had won in 2003, I think, three or four. But the SEC wasn't really the dominant conference then. Uh, but Florida kind of in a nice little gift um, gets put above, voted above Michigan to go play Ohio State in the national championship game. Ohio State was a seven point favorite. They had the Heisman Trophy winner quarterback, Chory Smith. And I remember going into this game, the expectation was that Ohio State would kill, just kill Florida. People were not expecting Florida to have a shot. And incidentally, Ohio State, um, we turned the opening kickoff for a touchdown um, to put Ohio State up 7-0. He ended up getting injured in the celebration. Uh, but after that, Florida dominated the rest of the way. They led 34-14 at half, and they won 41-14. to So if you take out the opening kickoff, Ohio State returned. Florida outscored Ohio State 41-7. Troy Smith only had 35 yards passing. Ohio State only had the ball for 19 minutes. Um, And this really not just brought Florida back to the national stage, it brought the SEC to the national stage. Because this began the SEC's seven-game national title streak that they'd roll off. Um, Interestingly, three months later, Florida beat Ohio State in the NCAA Basketball Championship. And then in in the Super Bowl, um, Devin Hester for the Bears would return the open kickoff for a touchdown. Also get hurt, just like Ted Ginn. The Bears lost that too, which sucked for me as a Bears fan. I don't know if you care about that, but that was a bummer. So anyways, Florida wins the national title. Chris Leak threw for almost 3,000 yards. Um, Tim Tebow was the backup um, for Chris Leak that year, but he did come in and would run a lot of short yards plays. Um, Percy Harvin had 420 yards rushing, 427 yards receiving. Uh, Brandon Siler had three sacks. The leading sack um, uh, per, leader for the Florida Gators was Derek Harvey with 11. So in just two years, um, Urban Meyer replicates his success at Bowling Green in Utah and having you know, a great second year. In this case, with all the talent at Florida, he wins the national title. Now, um, I'm kind of getting towards the end of what I want to talk about here uh, in this episode here of Doc Tell Me More. I pretty much focused this entire episode on maybe the positive, the history of Florida football, Urban Meyer's history, they come combined, they go win a national title. But there's a lot of controversy um, with... Um, Florida Gators, and this is why this team is such an interesting team to look at. And then what makes this team so interest, <clears throat> excuse me, interesting is that despite the success that they had at Florida, they had a lot of players get into trouble. And really the biggest stain on Urban Meyer's time in Florida is the large number of arrests that he had. And they actually had 31 arrests by 25 players in his six years at Florida. Now, there were a couple that happened in 2005 and 2006, but most happened after 2006. You might be like, well, why were there so many arrests that happened after 2006? Well, Urban Meyer had a player named Avery Atkins, and he was really the turning point in how Meyer handled discipline. Atkins was the highest-rated prospect in the 2005 recruiting class, Urban Meyer's first recruiting class at Florida. He started three games in 2005, but in 2006, he was kicked off his team for domestic battery and felony false imprisonment. Urban Meyer said he hit a woman, and one of his core values is that you don't hit a woman, so he immediately kicked him off the team. Well, a year later, Atkins was found dead due to an overdose. I think it was an accidental overdose. So Urban Meyer claims that um, he believed that since he took football from Avery, that that contributed to his death. And after that incident, um, Urban Meyer used that as justification for being more lenient and not kicking people off the team. And this is really the turning point um, in how Florida players acted. And then throughout the rest of his tenure at Urban Meyer um, or at Florida for Urban Meyer um, he would have to deal with a lot of players getting arrested. And we're going to talk about that part of the Urban Meyer Florida Gators in the next episode. So again, the, we talked about in this episode the history of Florida, Urban Meyer, and then them get him getting Florida back on The map as a national title. Next episode, we're going to talk about the controversy and a lot of the things that were left out there. And the documentary Untold, um, Swamp Kings. I think that the documentary did a a decent job talking about um, the success Florida had and how Urban Meyer built the team. What they didn't talk about a whole lot was these arrests, which we're going to talk about in the next episode. And I encourage you to listen to that because we're going to talk about players like Cam Newton. Maybe you didn't know, Cam Newton actually started out at the University of Florida. We're going to talk about Aaron Hernandez. Um, Aaron Hernandez famously was arrested for murder uh, when he was a member of the New England Patriots. So, um, controversies we're going to talk about and the off-field incidents at the University of Florida in next episode of Doc Tell Me More. But this episode of Doc Tell Me More, we talked about episode one of Swap Kings. Hope you enjoyed that. Until next time, we'll talk to you later.